well, we're, we're going to go straight into uh, our sermon series that we've been continuing on, which is through uh, the Sermon on the Mount. If you guys have your Bibles or if you have your programs, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 7. I know it's kind of changing gears from that heavy topic there, but Matthew chapter 7. Um, we've been go- if this is your first time, we've been going through uh, the Sermon on the Mount for the past almost like 12 weeks or so. We're almost done. Um, but we're now in Matthew chapter 7, uh, near the end. This is actually the end of a section of the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus gives. Uh, it's a collection of Jesus' most famous teachings. And starting in verse 7, if you are there with me, I'm going to read out loud. This is Jesus talking to the crowds. He says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. This is the reading of God's word. Uh, Like you, whenever I need a mental break, um, and I need it often, I will go on my phone and I will scroll on my Instagram reels. Uh, I don't do TikTok because I'm not, I'm a millennial, so I'll stay on Instagram and I'll go on, the, the, I'll go on the, the, the reels that are there, the videos. And if you ever checked out my Instagram reels, you'll see my algorithm. It, it's all animals because uh, I just, I like nature. <laughs> I think that's fascinating. I think it's relaxing. Uh, so I'll just, you just see all these little animal clips that are there. And I might have shared a story with some of you already, but one clip I'll never forget. It's like one of those like rescue stories. Those, they rescue animals. And there's a rescue story about these ducks that were stuck in a cage its whole life. Just kind of, you know, whole life, just in a cage. And so they got rescued, and then they got dropped off at a farm. And in the farm, there's a pond of water. And all the ducks were freaked out because they've never seen water before because they were just stuck in a cage their whole lives. And eventually one duck goes into the water, and then another duck goes in, and don't have to teach it. It just started swimming. And all the ducks jump in, and you just kind of see these, like, poor, sad ducks just come alive. They're, like, thrashing the water and diving and, and so forth. And as you're watching this, you go, it makes sense, because uh, ducks, they were meant to be in water. They flourish in water, because they are aquatic creatures, and that's kind of almost what they are built for. Uh, that's kind of a, a picture of what the Sermon on the Mount is meant to be for us. Uh, Jesus is describing what it looks like for us as humans to, uh, to flourish. What's, what's the water that we need in order for us not just to survive, but to thrive? And that's why the past few weeks, that's what he's been talking about. Uh, he's been talking about our broken relationships and how you, you survive just by doing your normal thing of relationships. So if you want to thrive, you, you figure out, hey, what's, am I angry at people? Uh, he talks about our sexuality and how that helps. That's actually, it's not, are you just surviving, but are you thriving in that area? Our worries about the future, judging. These are all things that take place that could make us just in this survival mode. Um, but Jesus, he's kind of describing an environment, what he calls the kingdom, of how human beings, what you were made for, what you were built for, what you really need in order for you to really thrive and to flourish in this life. Now, the passage we just read in Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 and 12, Jesus tells us uh, one key thing that our soul really needs in order to really come alive and to thrive in this life. And it's a a life uh, filled with continual prayer. Now, as I say that, uh, a lot of you might just kind of go on your phone and tune out at this point. Because some of you, you know, you've prayed before and you remember that boring thing that took place. Or some of you, uh, you pray right now and it's it's not very life-giving. 
it's kind of more of like a duty. It's very, in fact, if you're honest, it's life draining. Or if you're exploring Christianity, you're like, prayer? Like, really? That's something that's going to help me thrive? Uh, and I get it. I completely understand. Uh, I have a very complicated relationship with prayer, and I'm a pastor. Uh, but it's very complicated because sometimes I will pray, and I feel like I get nothing out of it. Don't get me wrong, I pray every day, uh, but it don't feel good all the time. Um, and when I pray, and it almost feels like after, when I'm done with it, I'm like, what was the point of that? Like, did anything really happen by me praying except from feeling less guilty? And so what ends up happening is you're kind of like me. You will sometimes get in temptation where you just pray just to get it done. Like, I'm a Christian, so I guess I should pray, or it's something that I'm told to do. It's like a checklist that's there. Or if you're really honest, uh, you will pray, uh, but it's not really productive enough, so you will attach prayer to something that's productive. So I'll pray when I drive. Because even though prayer is kind of, use, uh, it's kind of useless, but at least I'm driving, I'm doing something productive. Or you'll pray while doing the chores, or you'll pray while washing the dishes, because you want something productive done in the midst of prayer. And so, and the reason why, again, we don't think prayer does much. It doesn't, it's a duty, but it doesn't really do much for the soul. But what we're going to see is Jesus, uh, he really prioritizes prayer. He lives it out, he talks about it. This is the second time talking about it in the Sermon on the Mount. And we're going to see that Jesus, he talks about prayer is not just this duty that you have to do as a baseline to just kind of live. But prayer, it's, your soul needs it to thrive. The human soul, it's made for prayer. And it's something that we uh, perhaps have been lacking, and that's why spiritually we feel a bit dull these days. My hope is today, you don't walk away today feeling like, feeling guilty and I should pray more. If you feel mainly guilt after today, uh, I, I, I messed up. I messed up Jesus' teaching. Because Jesus, he actually wants to invite us into this thing called prayer that we really need in our souls. Um, because some of you in this room, you're like those ducks in the cage. Where you're a Christian, but your soul is really dry, and you can't explain why. And I really hope Jesus, Jesus through his teaching, he's going to introduce you to some water. Uh, for others of you, maybe uh, you're exploring the faith, and you're going like, prayer, what does this have to do with my life? I don't even believe, I'm not even sure there's a God out there. Uh, I really hope through Jesus' teaching today, we could get a picture, though, of what, how Jesus describes who God is and how he wants to relate to us. And so that's going to be uh, the topic today is uh, why do we need prayer for our souls? How does it help us come alive? And what does that prayer look like? Like what, what does Jesus talk about when he even mentions prayer? So we're going to talk about it in three ways. Number one, we're going to at the invitation of prayer, what Jesus is inviting us to do. Second is the problem of prayer. Why is this really hard? And then lastly, the goodness in prayer, why it's ultimately good. The invitation, the problem, the goodness. First, the invitation to prayer. So Jesus, what he's essentially doing is he's telling, hey, those of you, if you are in the kingdom, which is the whole Sermon Mount, if you are part of this kingdom, just know you have an open invitation to pray to the king. There is an open invitation where you don't need to go through all the security checks and so forth, but there is an invitation where you can come to the king and pray to him. And Jesus then describes what this interaction looks like. Look what it says in verse 7. Jesus says, hey, ask. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. Such a familiar verse, but just to break it down, there are, he's using three imperatives. There are three commands. Ask, seek, knock, and he's giving three assurances. He's telling us, ask God what you want. And he assures us something will happen. Something's going to happen when you ask him. 
And notice Jesus, he like ramps up the intensity. He goes, don't just ask where you were quite like, please, God, do you have, can I get something? But seek, go look for it. Once you ask, go look for what you're asking for. And then knock, go, hello, I want, like, is it there yet? Jesus is like, go ahead, go do that. And notice it's in the present tense. Ask, seek, knock, keep doing it. It's not just a one-time thing. Keep seeking God and ask him for what you want. Because as kingdom citizens, what Jesus is letting us know is that there is open access to the king. You can talk to him. I, I imagine like a picture of, you know, you ever do an escape room? And you're in an escape room, you go, oh, what do I do? What relieves all the pressure? You press the button, you go, hey, can you give me a clue? And the voice kind of lets you know like, what to do. That's kind of what Jesus is saying. There's, a, there's an access code for those in the kingdom to go and ask for help when you are in need. Now, why does Jesus say this? Why at this point of the sermon does Jesus let us know and let you know that, hey, come pray to God and come talk to him in this way? And I think there's like at least two reasons why Jesus is saying this. Reason number one is this. Jesus wants us to know that we have a God who actually hears us because he cares. I know that sounds really simple, but it's, it's actually uh, kind of profound, especially both in the ancient world and even in the modern world. We have a God who actually hears us. Remember last week, um, Pastor Sam, he preached on the idea of judgment. And he says that uh, we judge things all the time, and the judgment equation is you observe something, you evaluate something, and you come to a conclusion. And we do that with people, and we mess up all the time. So the example he gave is you see somebody with kind of like gangster clothes, you observe that, you interpret, oh, he must be a gangster, and your conclusion is, I'm not going to talk to him. And you just totally misjudge this person who might be just a sweet person. And we mess up that all the time with people. Jesus is mentioning prayer here because he's saying we do that with God too. How do we observe God? What do we observe about him? What's our evaluation? And what's our conclusion? And most ancient people at this time who Jesus was talking to, their observation of God, if there is a God, is he must be a mighty God to be God. He must create a lot of things and be super powerful. Why would he care about me? Why would he care about my finals? Why would he care about anything? That's ah, not worth bothering him. Why even pray? And that's why all the ancient religions at Jesus' time, they don't just pray to the gods, they do rituals, sacrifices, and fire, and so forth, because they're trying to get the gods' attention. Hey, little me, please pay attention to me. That's kind of how all the religions worked. And that's the ancient world, but I would say the modern world with the exact same phenomenon, where we think, okay, you're saying as a Christian that there's a God who you pray to right now, and he listens to you. Really, the only people who don't think that's weird are Christians grew up with are Christians. If you really think about it, there's a God who is mighty and powerful, and he cares about the job that you are applying for. Really? When you think about that and you make that judgment, it sounds kind of ridiculous. It sounds kind of silly. In fact, there is this, uh, this uh, tweet that I saw that got my attention. It's from this atheist organization, and they kind of said it in this mocking way, and I thought, yeah, that makes sense. It says, quote, Christianity, mockingly. Belief, one God, created the universe, 13.79 years old, 93, 93 billion year, light years in diameter, one light year, approximately 6 trillion miles, consisting of over 200 billion galaxies, each containing an average of 200 billion stars, only to have a personal relationship with you. Yeah, that's a great observation. Makes a lot of sense. And this tweet made rounds, and it's kind of interesting, you've seen the different responses, and one response caught my eye from a Christian where he said, quote, amazing, isn't it? Isn't that amazing? That's exactly what Jesus is claiming. Jesus has the audacity to say that there is a God, and you're right. 
He is mighty. He is powerful. He rules the galaxy. Genesis 1 and 2 describes that. And yet Jesus has the audacity to say, and he wants you to pray to him. He, want, he cares and wants to listen to what you have to say. And the reason how Jesus like anchors that is he paints a picture of God by using the most powerful and intimate relationship that we experience in our lives, which is between a, a parent and a child. In verse 11, look how he describes who this God is. Jesus says, if you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Jesus is saying, yes, God is big, mighty, powerful, but he relates to you like a father. In this kingdom, this God, that's how he relates to the kingdom citizens. You know, this past month has been a stressful month for me personally. I mean, there's a lot of things going on in the world that I just pay attention to. I mean, there's the, the mass shootings that took place that obviously that's burdensome. There's Roe v. Wade and just hearing all the controversy about that. There's still the war in Ukraine that's still going on that's there as, that's really stressful and burdensome. Uh, but that's like at a macro level. Even like things happening in like personal life. Like I recently visited a parent and their child is sick and we know what's going to happen. And you know, that was really burdensome for me as a pastor. Uh, I don't know if you guys know people in my family, not my kids or wife, but my, like, my siblings and my parents, they all got COVID, and my nephew got COVID, and he had to go to the ER this past week, and so you, know, you hear the news like that, and you're just like burdened. It's a lot of just stress and burden that I'm kind of like carrying around, and so in the midst of that, I remember the past month, there was a week where I, uh, a day where I picked up my son, because I pick up my son from school every day, and we're walking to my car, and you know, I'm just burdened, you know, Ukraine and so forth, and my son is like sad, he, I could tell something's off, I'm like, oh, like, what, what's wrong? And he, she, you know, he was telling me, like, oh, he, he played basketball today, and he's sad because nobody passed him the ball. Now, objectively, it's not a problem. But come on, man. Are you serious? That ruined your day? That someone didn't pass you the ball? You know, there are kids in Ukraine that don't have a ball? Like, you know, I could have easily gone there, right? Because, dude, like, that is such a petty thing to worry about in the midst of all the things that I know and that I'm involved with. And yet, when he shared that story with me, he had my full attention. I was like, tell me more. I wanted to know, who didn't pass you the ball? What's his name? Like, I wanted to know. Like, what happened? Like, you know, and I was, I was asking all these questions about it, and I actually kind of grieved, where I was like, that's really sad. Like, I was really sad that he experienced that. And I was sad, not because that's a big deal, it's not. It's like, whatever, dude. But it's my son. I relate to him as a father. And that's why I, he has my full attention. Because that's the relationship that we have. And this is what Jesus is trying to tell us. He's trying to say, if you're part of the kingdom, just know you have a king who doesn't relate to you like a politician or like some type of government leader. He relates to you like a father. There is nothing you bring up that's petty to him. You have his full attention. And Jesus wants us to know that. You have a God who listens to you because he cares. And that's why he invites us to pray. But secondly, Jesus wants to know that God not only wants to listen to us, he actually wants to have a conversation with us. He wants a conversation. What do I mean by that? Well, when you look at the, the passage, it's interesting. Jesus says, ask and you shall receive, seek and you shall find, knock and the door shall be open. And some people would take that going, so if I just pray, God will give me what I want. That sounds awesome. And some preachers will kind of abuse that verse, going, that's right, just pray, and you'll get what you want. And we all get hyped up, thinking, yeah, if we just wait long enough, God will answer that prayer. And that's how people think this passage, what Jesus is saying. 
couple problems with that. Here's the first problem. Uh, you know, Jesus told us actually earlier in the same sermon, Sermon on the Mount, uh, that God, he actually knows what you want before you ask him. So the picture here is not like, hmm, God said, what do you want? I want this. Oh, you want that. I didn't know. Here you go. That's not the picture at all. Because earlier Jesus says that God, he actually knows what you want before you ask him. In chapter 6, verse 7 to 8, this is still the Sermon on Mount, same audience. Look what Jesus says. And when you pray, your father knows what you need before you ask him. And then we get stuck in a rabbit hole, especially if you're like that reformed person. We go, well, then what's the point of praying? And you get kind of into this, the matrix and so forth, and you get stuck. And, you know, we're not going to go there too deeply, but something else is going on here. And not only that, Jesus tells us early in the, in the sermon, it doesn't matter how often you're seeking God. It's not like we go, and people take this verse going, if you ask, then seek, and then knock, because if you keep asking, then God's going to grant it to you. But Jesus says earlier in that same verse of chapter 6, when you pray, don't be like the Gentiles. They think they'll be heard with the many words. It doesn't matter how often you talk. That's not the point of what Jesus is saying here. So what is Jesus saying? Why does God want us to pray and ask him for things when he already knows what you're going to ask for? And I think what Jesus is doing is he is giving a vision of who God is, this God of the kingdom. He's a God who genuinely wants a relationship with you. It's not like the Santa Claus relationship where you just ask and he'll give. He actually, he, I know what you want to give, but I want you to tell me. Because he wants to have a conversation. He wants to dialogue about what this is. Because that's what it means to pray. I like one definition I heard about prayer. If you want to just summarize, what is prayer? Prayer is, another slide here, prayer is a back and forth conversation with God that comes out of a depth of a relationship. That's what prayer is. It's not this formal ritual to get God's attention. It's not this thing that we go, that we say it in this pretty way so that God is pleased with our prayer. It's a conversation from a relationship. That's what prayer essentially is. And God wants that because when you have a conversation with God, that's when you start to experience intimacy with him. You know, recently, uh, I've been going through a discouraging season. Um, it's just been discouraging uh, for different reasons, for different things in my life. Uh, and I'm an Enneagram number five, so if you know anything about the Enneagram number five, when Enneagram fives get discouraged, uh, we become like bottled up and we become selfish. Like we just kind of keep things to ourselves, and we don't say hi to people. We don't post on social media. We're just kind of like in our, we're in the upside down, dude. We're just kind of down there, just like by ourselves and like everything's dark and, and so forth. And that's what, that's how I sometimes am. That's my default. Uh, but whenever I'm like in the upside down, like my wife, she will want to like go and come down and be like, hey, what's going on down there? And she wants to know, hey, what's going on? Like, well, why, what's, what's the burden? And as a number five, the last thing I want to do is talk about that. I'd rather just like watch a movie or talk about anything else. I do not want to share about what's going on because what's she going to do? She can't change my situation. She can't help me. So why bother sharing? And yet, every time I share with my wife all the things that I'm thinking and going through, uh, my problem is exactly the same, and yet I feel a lot better. I always feel better, every time. And the reason why is not just because my wife is getting to know me and my problems when I share, but I feel known. I feel known in the midst of my upside-down world uh, from another person. And that feels good. Why does that feel so good for us? It's called intimacy. It's called relationships. And you need that. You need that in your life. You think you need someone to fix your situation or to change your situation. But I realize in those moments, you actually just need someone to be with you in those situations. That's what the human soul needs. And this is why Jesus, he invites us to pray. We have a God... He wants to experience intimacy with you. 
because we, we all have burdens. I know every single one of you, like, you, you don't care about a lot of things happening at, like, at church or even, like, like at politics because you have stuff happening in your life that nobody knows what's going on. And it's burdensome. And that's why it's difficult to even function sometimes or it's difficult to care about other people's burdens because you have your own stuff to carry. But Jesus, he's inviting those in the kingdom saying that there is someone who you have access to who wants to carry those burdens with you. And the only way you can even attempt to live out the Sermon on the Mount is if you actually have that person know your burdens so that you don't feel alone and someone's with you. I like the way this one author, John Stark, he says like this, quote, I often resist bringing my troubles to God because I just don't want to think about them. They are burdensome for a reason, and it's easier to keep them compartmentalized and stuffed down. But with that comes the needless burden carrying. And when I don't cast my own cares upon him, I cannot carry the burdens of others. And Jesus, he wants you to feel that someone's carrying your burdens, that we can also carry each other's burdens as well. That's the vision of the kingdom. And that's what prayer does. A lot of you, I know you pray. A lot of you, you're, you're Christians or you're, you've been church, so you practice prayer. But have you experienced prayer like that? Where your burdens are lifted? Where you feel like God, someone hears you? Where you feel like you're experiencing intimacy? Where you feel known by God? I feel like a lot of us, we haven't experienced prayer like that in a long time. And we, we get jacked because our prayer, you know, we've been taught how to pray. Like, you got to praise God first. There's the acronym, and we've got to confess our sins. But, and again, there's a place for that. There's definitely a place for that. But sometimes, like, do you imagine the way we talk to God? Like, would we talk like that to any other person? I, like, imagine my son woke up in the morning. He's like, good morning, thy father. I am not worthy of you. How may I glorify you today? Like, dude, that's, you know, again, maybe there's a place for that, <laughs> like, at one point, but that's, like, a strange way if that's the only way he relates to me. What does my son do when he wakes up? First thing he does, morning, dad, can I get some yogurt? Can you play with me? Can you play basketball? He's just asking me for things. He's just asking me for things because he's my son, and he's expressing his desires to me. And what Jesus is saying is God invites that conversation as stupid as the things that we want. It's like, no, tell me. I want to know. And yet, we don't do that because it's hard. In fact, it's a lot harder than we think, which leads to the second point, the problem. The problem of prayer. The way Jesus is telling us to pray, hey, go to God and ask him, it's pretty elementary. It sounds simple. In fact, it sounds like a, like a kid prayer that we actually teach in our education. Uh, but if you actually really think about it, it's very vulnerable. He's asking for a type of vulnerability that we're not used to in two ways. Uh, when Jesus says, hey, um, ask God for something, it's actually hard for us because... Uh, we don't like asking people for anything. Um, there's a New York Times article written by a lady named Alina Tugan, and it's titled, Why is Asking for Help So Difficult? And her whole argument is that our society, we are con it conditions us to make us watch out for ourselves. So, for example, if you're in trouble with finances or anything in your family or so forth, what do we turn to? Self-help books. Self-help books. That's the number one seller. Help yourself. If you're at Target, you go, how much does this cost? You don't ask somebody. There is a convenient price scanner. You go, beep, and you go, oh, it costs that much. When you go to the grocery store, there's self-checkouts now. If you need a bag, you just grab a bag. You don't ask anybody. We live in a culture that teaches us to be independent, be self-sustaining. And that's why we feel weird at school. If we need help, we don't want to raise our hand, or we feel very shy asking the professor. Or if we're at work and we need help from the boss or the coworker, we, we don't, we're hesitant to ask because there's a sense of like uh, shame that's kind of there of asking for help. Why? 
Why is that there? And the reason why there's this, uh, there's this pride in us. This pride, and underneath that pride where we don't want to ask for help is actually deep down fear. There's a fear that we have about asking. Next week is July 4th. And my wife and I, one thing we like to do on July 4th weekend is not only like do something with the family, we like to do things with other families. And so my wife would typically do, she would, hey, ask someone if they want to hang out. You know what will never happen? I will never message one of you going, hey, you want to hang out July 4th? I will never do that. You know what I will do instead if I want to hang out? Hey, what are you doing July 4th? And you go, oh, just chilling. Oh, really? Are you busy that day? Oh, no, we're just doing, celebrating July 4th. Oh, cool. Are you do, celebrating July 4th with anybody? Oh, yeah, we're actually celebrating with our hometown friends. Oh, yeah, me too, me too. Oh, cool. And let's move on. And that's how I ask. That's how I ask people. If they say, oh, yeah, I'm free, I'll go, oh, we're free too. You want to hang? Then I'll ask them how I hang out. Why do I ask in this kind of weird roundabout way? Because deep down inside, there's, there's fear. I fear rejection. There's a fear of rejection in my heart. And a lot of you, that's you too. You've been told no a lot in your life. You've experienced rejection a lot in your life. So to, uh, to ask somebody for something you need, that's actually kind of vulnerable because you're, you might get rejected. Where some of you, you don't like the idea of asking because you're going to get indebted to them. You owe them something. You, don't like, you, you fear bondage. You like your independence or your freedom. Or some of you, you, f- you don't like the idea of feeling like a burden to somebody because you fear your reputation and how people view you. Whatever it might be, it's very vulnerable to ask someone something, and yet Jesus is telling us, ask God, what do you really need? And that's very vulnerable. In fact, Jesus takes it a step further. Not only does he say, ask God, is that vulnerable, but here's the second reason why it's so vulnerable. Jesus says, and believe he'll do it. Hope that God will do it. Look what it says in verse 8. Jesus says, everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, it will be open." It's one thing for me to ask somebody, will you hang out July 4th? And they say no, oh, rejection. It's another thing someone says, hey, that person is free. You should ask them. I know they're free July 4th. Hey, can you hang out? No, we're busy. Oh, I'm rejected and I have trust issues. It's like, oh, it's like disappointed. And that's kind of what Jesus is saying here. He's doubling down saying, don't just ask. But Jesus promises God's going to answer. He's going to deliver. And that leaves us just in this vulnerable place. And if we experience that, the consequences of our vulnerability enough, rejection or disappointment, you just get really deflated. Very deflated. And I think that's kind of how a lot of us feel. Um, To change gears a little bit, uh, for all of us married couples or engaged couples, or even if you have roommates that you're living with, uh, here's some free relationship advice. Some free, it's all free counseling advice, okay? There are three types of fights that you experience with your spouse or your roommate, and it's, it's uh, different levels, and you don't even know you're fighting about this. But there are three categories that's really helpful to know how to navigate your fights. The first type of fight that you experience are, are called action-based fights. It's based upon someone did something that was not good. For example, they come home late from work. Their behavior is kind of not good, and because of that, it's a problem. Because you're watching the home, the kids by yourself, or you're lonely, or so forth. So what's the solution? Change your behavior. That person has to come home early. And it's fairly simple. And every guy, most husbands, they see every problem that way. What can I do? Just tell me what to do. Just tell me what to do, and I'll do it. And that's because everything's action-based. And that works for that first category of problems. But here's the second category of problems that take place. It's not action-based, it's feeling-based. 
The problem was not the behavior of the person. The problem is how the behavior made that person feel. That hurt me. That made me feel not valued. That made me feel not affirmed. That made me feel not prioritized. And the problem is when people go, well, just tell me what to do then. That's not addressing the solution. The solution is, is say sorry. Own the emotion that you hurt. And that's kind of a second tier problem. Action-based, emotion-based. And those two are probably like 90% of the daily problems that we go through in marriage or roommates or so forth. Fairly simple. The third category of problems, though, this is where it gets a little hard. It's not just action. It's not feeling-based. It's desire. It's desire. You need something from somebody. You want something from somebody. And after talking to them over and over again, they're not giving it to you. It's hard. It's hard for people to change. But you need, they're not being affirming, they're not being loving or considerate, and you're having these conversations over and over again, and you're telling them and you're letting them know, and they're never changing, and so you kind of just go like, what's the point? What's the point of even trying anymore? Recently, my wife and I experienced a season like that where we needed things from each other, and we're always asking for it, like, over and over again. It's been, like, 11 years of us, like, asking for things. Um, but we struggle because, again, it's hard to change. If you're, it's really hard to really shift who you are. And so what happened at during a certain season, we just stopped asking. We are just like, whatever, man. Like, that's just you. And you wish you could just be like them. But, well, and let's just be happy. But it kind of kills a part of your soul when you have that attitude where you just kind of stop asking because you're disappointed. Where you, you stay married, but you're not really acting like a married couple. You're, like, roommates now. You're in the same space physically, but you're not in the same space emotionally. And if people ask you, well, how, how's marriage? You go, it's okay. It's okay. Which is code word to like, we just stop asking each other for stuff. We, we, it's too painful. It's too painful to be vulnerable, to ask. It's too disappointing to not get what you want. And that's, that's where intimacy gets lost. And you just kind of are floating in your marriage. And I can't help but think that's how a lot of us are with God. How's your spiritual life? It's okay. It's okay. You're still Christian. You're, you're still coming to church. And you think, oh, I just feel like maybe I'm just busy these days and that's why things are off. Or I just like discipline. I just need to read my Bible more. That's why it's off. Or it's a church. You know, I wish church just did more things or less things and then things would be better. But what probably is likely happening for a lot of us is there has been a wall between you and God and your intimacy level for a long time, because it's been a long time since you've been vulnerable with God. It's been a really long time. Some of you, you struggle to be vulnerable and intimate with God because you struggle to be vulnerable and intimate with anybody. Nobody knows you. Nobody feels intimate with you. And then it's because you grew up in an environment where you've been hurt or rejected or no one taught you how to really share your thoughts or emotions. You have your emotions, it's really hard to access it, so but nobody really knows who you are. And so you're not really asking God for things because you just don't, you don't trust people. You're not being vulnerable with God. And therefore, you just don't have to be intimate with anybody. And it's true both in your relational life and in your spiritual life. Some of us, you struggle with vulnerability, though, and intimacy with God because you tried. You've tried, and it's, it's hard to try again. You ever watch the Avengers movie where Hawkeye, he loses his family for five years, and then Scarlett Johansson finds him. He goes, we should get your family back. And Hawkeye, he doesn't reply going, really? Tell me how. Amen. What does Hawkeye say? Don't give me hope, man. Don't give me hope. Because he's been disappointed for a long time. And that's a lot of us. Uh, we hoped before. We hoped in people. We hoped in God. 
We hear these, this passage about ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find. We heard testimonies from people going, I was asking God and I was seeking and he was quiet, but then finally now I'm married. And everyone's like, oh, God answers prayers. And some people, that happens to them. But most of us, that's not our story. That's not our story. And now there's like this low level kind of dis, like, disappointment that's kind of there where you just kind of stop asking. And so now you're in a situation where you believe in God, you go to church, heck, you even pray. You still pray, but you'll never ask God for anything. Not for what you really need. Not what you really want. So what's the point? What's the point? And again, I, I say this not to condemn us. I say I, I get it. I get it. Some of you, you've been praying for a long time to find that husband, to find that wife. Not even to find a husband, just, just a date. Just a decent date. And it was funny when you couldn't find one in your teenage years or your 20s. But as you get older, it's like less funny. And you're praying and you're praying. And nothing's happening. So what happens? You just stop praying. It's like, what's the point, dude? I just got to do my own thing. I'll pray for other stuff, but not this. So what's the point? Some of you are praying for a child because you want to be a parent and you've been praying and you're praying and God just seems like he's quiet and he's silent. And you're just like, dude, what, like, what's the point? And what was the point of all that? Some of you prayed for healing for certain people that you wanted to be healed and God didn't heal them. And you're just like, why did you even tell me to ask? Like, why, did you, why is Jesus inviting me to ask to pray? And so now you are used to doing things yourself. Again, I'll do the prayer stuff, but it's not vulnerable prayers at all. I'll never be vulnerable like that again, because what's the point? Because you still believe in God, you do not rely on God anymore. Is that where you're at right now? Many of us, we're protecting ourselves, where we stopped asking. Our prayers are very safe now, very safe prayers, because we don't want to risk being disappointed again. We don't want to be sold a bag of fake goods from anybody saying, if you believe, then this will happen to you. You're, you've been fooled already. And because of that, you're not experiencing intimacy with God because you're not being vulnerable to God. And because you're not experiencing intimacy with God, you feel far away from God. And that's just kind of the way your spiritual life is. That's, kind of, that's our state. And that's why a lot of us are kind of bleh. That's why I message our members, how are you doing? Bleh, I'm okay. Again, I'm not saying we have to pray intensely every day. I don't think that's what God's really looking for. But if we never have those vulnerable moments with the Lord, how can we ever experience intimacy? Because intimacy requires vulnerability. And we're missing out on the type of prayer that our soul needs. That's the problem. That's the problem. So what does Jesus have to say? What does Jesus have to say to that aching soul that you want, it's hard for you to really believe what Jesus is saying? Well, it's interesting, and this leads to the goodness of prayer. Notice Jesus doesn't go, well, it's a mystery, guys. God is a mysterious God, and he works it out, so trust that. He doesn't do that. Nor does he go, like, well, God's a smart God. He's smarter than you. That's not what Jesus appeals to. Notice that Jesus, in the midst of that question of uh, what's going to happen, because, again, Jesus, he's talking to not middle-class suburban people. In a certain amount, he's talking to these poor, homeless widows and people who are Jewish, who have prayed, and they're all still poor. They're all disappointed probably in many ways, a lot of unanswered prayers. And as Jesus talks to them, what assurances he gives? He highlights and emphasizes the goodness of God. Look what it says in verses 9 to 11. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, 
How much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Jesus is saying when we pray, God does not give you a cheap substitute where when you ask for bread, it's a stone. That's not what God does, he says. Nor does he give you something harmful like a snake. But Jesus, he's reminding us who God is. He's a father who wants to give good things to his child and will only give good things to his child. He's like your father who wants to do good things. And I don't know about you, when I hear that, that's a complicated imagery because I'm Asian. And I have an Asian dad. And sometimes I really question, huh, my dad good? And I, and I know a lot of us, that's us. Where we have dads and when we use those dad imageries in the Bible, it's like, ah, not very comforting. Because this is my dad really good. There's a lot of good things I wanted from my dad and I didn't really get it. Uh, and, you know, I have that typical story as well where my dad was always absent from home. And I thought, like, you know, I just wanted my dad home to play with me. So I interpreted his absence as neglect. So when, he tell, when Jesus says your God is like your father who does good things, hard for me to really understand, especially based on like the bad things happening in my life. Uh, one thing that really helped me though un- reconcile this was I heard a story where pretty much there was like this uh, program, this university thing, I don't know what it was, some type of program where they invite all these like Asians to come. And uh, it was really interesting in this program or in this seminar, they invite the Asians to sit down like in an auditorium like this, and they all say, hey, take out your phones. Take out your phones and on Google, type up good father in the Google images, and see what pops up. And here are the images that pop up. When you type up good father. And when I saw that, when you see that, you go, yeah, that's, that's a good dad. Because that's what I wanted. I want a dad who would hold my hand, who would talk to me, who would play sports with me. Because I interpret that as that's good. Not an absent dad who's gone all the time. Because how do you make sense of that? I want a good dad who's there and present with me. And so when the students, when they saw those images, they started getting emotional, like a little bit teary-eyed, because that's not the type of dad they had. Uh, but it was really interesting, again, they're all Asian, so they said, okay, now, I want you not to go on Google, but there's this, uh, there's this Asian Google website called Neighbor, right? It's a Korean Google. And it said, type up good dad in that website. Typed up good dad, you know what images pop up? These hands. Because you know what a good dad is in Asia? Work hard. Sacrifice. You serve. You do things so that your kid can have the best life. That's what a good dad does. And it's weird, like as I'm a dad now, I'm like, oh wow, like it took me all this time to like look back now, going, you know, my dad's absence, I always interpret it as like neglect and as him being unloving. But I understand now, like, that's my dad's love. That's how Asians are. And it was hard for me to like, understand until later when I became a father. And I'm not saying one type of dad is better or different than another. What I'm saying is our idea of what goodness is and what we want, it could be so skewed from what the type of care and love that our Heavenly Father is actually trying to show us. And that's what Jesus is trying to teach us. Is when you pray and you are asking for things because you want certain things, you have a father who hears you, and he's good, and he'll give you good things. You may not understand why it's good, but keep relating to him. Keep coming to him. Don't cut him off. Don't think he's just this neglectful person who's not like the other dads. No, he is good. Be in communion with him, and you will see and experience the goodness of God in your life as your life plays out. That's what Jesus is telling us. 
And it's going to happen in ways that you just do not understand, but you'll walk away realizing God is good. He's a good father. You know, just to end with a, person, a story that I heard, I know a couple, this is a little sensitive, uh, it could be a little trigger warning, but I feel like it makes sense of what I'm trying to say. Uh, I know a couple, when they got married, uh, they are looking to have kids, and they wanted to be parents, like, right away. They weren't that couple that were like, you know, I guess we'll have kids, or I want to travel for five, seven years. And then, like, they were like, I want to be a parent. Like, I was built to be a mom. I was built to be a dad. And so they had, I think they enjoyed traveling for like a year or so. And like, let's do it. Let's start trying. They start trying, boom. Months pass by, no kid. Boom, keep trying. Months pass by, still no kid. Boom, more months pass by, all their friends are getting kids, still no kid. Boom, years pass by, now all their friends have kids, they have no kids. And finally, and they're praying, and they're praying, like, God, would you help us have a child? We're praying, we're praying, and then they discover at one point the devastating news, they cannot have kids. They biologically cannot have it. And they experience, like, this mourning, and it's a unique type of mourning and sadness that people go through when they can't have children that, like, nobody understands. Like, it's really hard. Very, very devastating for them. And this is the point where you can imagine they get disillusioned, where it's like, you know, okay, I'll go to church still, I'll, I'll, I'll still pray, but... I'm done with God. Low-key, like, emotional disconnect from God now because he jacked us. Because, again, this is a couple, they want to be parents. They were eager to be parents. They were praying. They were Christian. They did all the right things, and yet, where the hell was God? But, and again, it was a lament season. Uh, but what happened was, despite their disappointment, they kept praying. Like, what does God want us to do now? Seems like kids are not in the work, so what does God want us to do? And this isn't one of those stories where they kept praying, and now they're pregnant, and it's a happy... No, it wasn't like that. They never had kids. It's not, that, it's not a bow tie like that. What ended up happening was they decided, if we're not going to have our own child, what does God call us to do? And they started to explore adoption for the first time. That was not on the radar. They never thought about adopting. But once they explored it, they realized there's all these kids that are in need, that are looking for homes, and they're looking for a child, and they went through that whole process. And now here today, they have a family with an adopted child. And it was totally not what they planned. Totally not what they planned their life, and yet looking back now, if you talk to them, what a unique blessing. A unique blessing where they question who God was, but now they are experiencing his goodness. Where they go, wow, God, he's good. He is very good, and he was very silent, and he still seems silent sometimes. But he gave us not maybe what we wanted, but what we really, really desired deep down in our souls. And this is why Jesus invites us to pray. He wants us to be vulnerable to God, to hope again, to have daring prayers that we haven't dared to pray in a long time. And even in the silence that's there where you don't really feel it, he's saying keep on asking and seeking and knocking because what's going to happen is you're going to experience the goodness of God. You will know that he is good. And if you ever get discouraged about that, just remember Jesus, the one who tells us to ask, seek, and knock, and God will answer, he did it himself, and it seemed like God was silent when he was in the garden, about to go to the cross, and he said, Jesus was praying, and he was saying, remove this cup from me, may I not, can I not take the the cross? And God seemed silent. And this might be heretical, but I can't imagine Jesus is now in heaven looking back, going, you know that garden moment with God, when God seemingly was silent, that was one of the most intimate craziest, sweetest moments of realizing how good God is. Because God had this plan of redemption that he was going to accomplish through this. And I can't help but think that we're going to think the same things too. But we can't experience the goodness of God, we just cut him off and say, well, forget it. 
So that's why we are invited to pray. And to pray in a way that's kind of scary. To pray, what do you want? And to believe again. Because it's been a long time since we believed in anybody, especially God. But that's the way our souls wake up. That's probably something that we long to have, but we haven't experienced in a long time. And the one small step I guess I want to encourage for us to take is as you go through your weeks, would you take a moment to pray a real prayer? Again, the, the fluffy prayers, okay, that's nice, but a real prayer where you talk to God about what you want and dare to believe. Dare to believe that God will do something about it. And so as I invite the praise team up, can I invite us to take an attempt right now? All of us are here. We're all in the mode of, well, God wants, is inviting us to pray. Jesus says pray. So let's pray. What are you going through? What do you really want? What's a scary prayer that you didn't dare pray about in a long time? Now let's take a moment, wherever you're at, and if, it, if you fumble on it or if you don't know what to say, let's just be silent and be still before God. And let's take a moment to really pray our heart's desire, and then I'll close us all in a time of corporate prayer. So let's take a moment to pray on our own, and then we'll pray all together as a church.